The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory Glory to to you, you, Lord Lord Christ. Christ. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so closes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us this morning. Please pray with me. Father, do ask now as we come to your word that you send us your Holy Spirit, that it might take your word and bring it down to the bottom of our hearts and the very marrow of our bones. We might be changed by your words. And Father, we pray this even now that the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts this morning, they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord. You are a rock. You are indeed our redeemer. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When our power went down last week on Wednesday, all of our kids came rushing into our room because it went down in the middle of the night and suddenly they were a little anxious and worried. But that anxiety and worry was calmed, seeing that we were calm, and also that the rest of the week was going to be them sleeping by the fire under a giant mound of blankets. And if you are 12, 10, and 7, that's a pretty good adventure for a while. So Aaron and I slept in our own bed upstairs, and of course all the blankets were downstairs, so we were a little cold, and we went through the entire house to find whatever blankets we could find to add to our own mound on our, blank, on our bed to stay warm. And one of the blankets that we found was a weighted blanket. And I don't know if you know what a weighted blanket is. It's pretty much exactly what it sounds like. It's a blanket with weights in it, so it's heavy. Now, I hate weighted blankets. I'm pretty sure uh, from an unfortunate wrestling experience when I was <laughs> sat on by three boys and there was a blanket on top of me and I thought I was dying and it was never going to get out. And so I have a little anxiety related to weighted blankets because it feels like I'm trapped. And it's probably the source of my claustrophobia. But weighted blankets were designed for the purpose of making you feel secure. That's why they were designed. In fact, actually designed for people who are experiencing anxiety. 
make you feel like you're getting a nice, warm hug. There's nothing to worry about. You can just go to sleep. You are secure. Our passage this morning from Matthew chapter 6 is about anxiety, but the anxiety of wanting to be and feel secure and seeking that security in food and clothing and even in morality. So three things this morning. What Jesus isn't saying in these passages, what Jesus is saying, and then building trust. What he isn't saying, what he is saying, and building trust. We begin with what Jesus isn't saying, because these chapters 6 and 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount here, these have been uh, interpreted, they're kind of easy to misunderstand and misapply, and certainly they've been misunderstood throughout history. For example, when Jesus says, do not be anxious, well, he's not talking about generalized anxiety, clinical anxiety that we talk about today. That's essentially your body's alarm going off. You know what I'm talking about? Last week, during the ice storm, I was heading from church to my house right here, and I crossed through 290 and was heading through William Cannon towards my house, and right over there's a shopping center right over there on the corner of 290 and William Cannon, and the exit from that shopping center kind of bends around the curve of William Cannon, and there is a truck that was right there creeping into the intersection, and I saw it. I saw it creeping, and I saw that it did not see me. And so what do you think happened? Immediately, adrenaline shot through my body. My palms got sweaty. My heart started beating three times faster. Everything slowed down so I could swerve out of the way and still get hit by the car in the back of my car. Everything was fine. But that's what generalized anxiety is. It's your body's alarm going off. There's danger. Well, sometimes, for certain people, that alarm gets stuck. Just like when you're in a house, an alarm is going off and you can't figure out how to shut it off. Your body's alarm is going off even when danger isn't present. And that's not sin. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 6. The Greek word is merimenato. And here it's in the imperative, merimenate. And it means to be mentally divided. That's what it means. It means your mind is always on something else. It's anxious, but it's closer to the idea of worry. And notice here in verses 31 through 33, Jesus connects the word anxiety in verse 31 with the word seek in verses 32 and 33. The Gentiles seek these things. This is what it is to be anxious. This is merimenate. Your mind is constantly focused in seeking the security of food and clothing, etc. That's what Jesus is addressing. What we prioritize in order to feel secure or what is constantly distracting us what our mind is always on. Just also isn't saying here in chapter six, as some have suggested, that we just need to not care about food and clothing. We're not even plan or work for them. We don't even need to pay attention to any of that. That's what Jesus is saying here. Just be like the birds. Just be carefree and don't do anything with wisdom. I was speaking with someone a while ago whose family was going through financial straits. And I asked how they were going, how it was going, what they were doing. He said, well, I've been praying a lot and uh, I knew that they needed a job, but they've been praying a lot, and just God hasn't provided anything yet. So I said, well, you know, where have you applied, and where, where are you looking to work? And they said, oh, I haven't applied anywhere yet. I've just been praying, and God hasn't provided yet. I was like, that is not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not saying, just wait until I drop something into your lap. I mean, even the birds that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter 6, God is not dropping the food into the bird's mouth. The birds are going about being busy. They might be present and carefree, but in their busyness, God is providing for them. The point that Jesus is making is that God provides for the birds, not that you are not to plan. The point is not that birds don't plan, but that God provides for them. The birds might not sow. They might not, re- they might not gather into barns here in verse 26, 
But there's no condemnation of humans doing that. In fact, the implication, in fact, is that is what humans do. And of course, God cares about the birds who don't do that. How much more is he caring about us as humans? And of course, the Bible tells us in many places, and you all know this, that wisdom and prudence and planning and hard work are good things. Proverbs 6, for example. Proverbs 6 praises the ant. Why? Because the ant prepares in the summer for the harvest in the fall. The ant prepares ahead of time and plans. And the ant also labors hard in Proverbs chapter 6, unlike the sluggard who doesn't do anything. Even in the New Testament, Paul, when he speaks to the Thessalonian church, he tells them if someone in the church was not willing to work, well, they shouldn't be able to eat and leech off the food of the community. So that's what Jesus is not saying here in chapter 6. In chapter 7, of course, there's also this other very misinterpreted and misunderstood saying at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, probably in all the Sermon on the Mount, do not judge or you will be judged, right? How often have we heard that to mean do not hold any moral standards. Do not care about right and wrong. Don't even try to help me or correct me. Don't judge. Don't judge me. But if that was what Jesus meant, if that's what he was saying here in chapter 7, then we would have to ignore everything else that came earlier in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you, those are all moral statements. Those are all statements that require moral decision-making and judiciousness and to be discerning. But we don't even need to look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount to know that. Look here at verse 5 of chapter 7. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Well, what's the implication here? The speck that is in your brother's eye is not supposed to just stay there. It's meant to be taken out. It needs to be taken out. It's not good to have the speck in your brother or sister's eye. Jesus is not saying here, well, not only that, but look, he prioritizes your own clear-sightedness so that if you have clear-sightedness, you will be able to help take the speck out of your brother's eye. You need to do that. So Jesus is not saying here, don't be judicious, don't be morally discerning, or don't try to improve and help others. Okay, so if that's all what he's not saying in chapter 6 and chapter 7, what is Jesus saying in these passages? Well, Jesus is saying, yes, care about the necessary things, plan for them, work for them. Yes, help your brother and sister get the speck out. Yes, but first, begin with me. You see this? Verse 33 here of chapter 6. But seek first, not don't seek at all, but rather seek first, begin here with God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Then all these other things that you want to seek after, they're going to come along with that. Prioritize here with me and you will find real security. The security that you are looking for in all of these things. I mean, why do we get anxious about food? Why do we get anxious about clothing? We want them. Why? Well, because they're like weighted blankets for our soul. When I have them, when I have an abundance of them, it's going to, we think, make me feel secure and safe and stable. But Jesus is telling us here in chapter 6 that these things cannot make your soul secure. To ask them to actually make your soul secure is something that they're not made to do. It's like Jesus' rhetorical question here in verse 27. Do you see this? Imagining that if we think about it enough, we can actually add hours to our life. The Greek here is a little ambiguous. It could also mean, which I think is equally as comical and equally as rhetorical, it could also mean 
by thinking about it, can we add several inches to our height? Of course not. We know we can't add days to our lives by thinking about it. We know we can't add height to our stature just by thinking about it. But food and clothing is like that. It can't make us secure inside. We need food and clothing, but we are more as human beings. We are more than our physical needs. Verse 25 here at the very beginning of our reading, Jesus says, is life not more than food? And is the body not more than clothing? We are not just our physical needs and desires. Let me put this far more bluntly. Looking out at all of you and knowing you, I don't think anyone here is truly lacking in food or clothing. But do you feel secure? Or is your mind divided even right now? Thinking about getting or about losing or preserving or increasing your assets and your possessions? Does it keep you up at night? Does it prevent you from being generous to those who are actually without food or clothing because you're so anxious about losing your abundance? But it's actually deeper than that. Because what do we do when we actually are abundant with food and clothing? We are still anxious about food and clothing, but now it's about whether we have the right clothing or we have the right food. It's about a social security. Now we want to be anxious about whether or not our food and clothing is making us secure in the group that we want to belong to. It's not shoes anymore. It's whether or not I have Tacovas or Jordans or Yeezys. <laughs> it's, am I driving a Tahoe? Do I have a ranch in the hill country? Did I eat at Red Ash or Jeffrey's? Am I wearing my Howler Brothers or just this? You simply notice how immediately just showing you this tells you what my status is and that I belong and that I want you to know that I belong. How often is your mind, how often is my mind divided, running in circles, wondering if I have the right clothes, the right food, the right things in order to belong and feel secure in my group? And are you so anxious about your social status that you reject or ignore those who you think don't seem to belong where you want to belong. Now, if you're wondering how chapter 7 here about judgment and all this fits in with this idea of trying to feel secure, let me say it this way. What happens if I think I am secure because my life is all put together? I have it all together. And in fact, I can tell you how to get it all together. I'm on top morally, professionally, successfully, and now I can look down on you and I'll feel secure by helping you. But to do that, what do you have to do? You have to ignore your own failings, moral or otherwise. You have to ignore all the planks that are sticking out of your eyes so that you can jump on other people's specs. Because there's nothing better than to vicariously deal with your own failures by jumping over someone else's so you feel morally righteous but you don't have to actually change. Then at the end, I am both morally better than you and I'm also your moral helper. Twice the righteousness, zero the cost. Then I can feel better because what I am looking for, and I have to do this in comparison to you, I'm better than you. 
That's what makes me feel secure. Last summer, I was on a run with our dog, Bo. Now, I forgot to bring any doggy doo-doo bags with me because I thought he was fine. We were on a run. I'm not planning on stopping, but Bo is over 100 pounds. So a bathroom break is, let's say this, very obvious. And a truck drove by while Bo was relieving himself. He slammed on his brakes. Then he waited for me to catch up to him. When I got up to him, he rolled down his window. Then he berated me for not cleaning up what Bo had left behind. Well, I told him I didn't have a bag. Well, he berated me for not thinking of bringing a bag. I asked if he had one. He berated me for asking him if he had a bag. I mean, he was angry at me. Well, he was angry at the world. He was angry at himself. Because he was slurring his speech. And he had in his hand, while he was talking to me, a full glass of scotch. And he had just driven through a school zone. I didn't have to be a genius to see that he was looking for someone to condemn to relieve his own sense of self-condemnation. He was seeking security in some place that had him morally above me because the plank in his own eye was making him feel secure. So he had to find somewhere to ignore that and find himself better than me. But it's not just him. That's us. That's all of us. Looking for security and possessions of physical things like food, drink, and clothing. Looking for security and social status and having the right kinds of clothes and eating the right kinds of food so we can be secure by belonging to the right group. Looking for security in how good, accomplished, successful, moral, how good of a sermon our life is. At the heart, they all say this. I'm my own. I have to make myself secure. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 6 here is that is a rejection. That self-reliance is a rejection of trust and dependence on God. It's why Jesus says here in verse 30, Oh, you of little faith. Because that is what faith is. Trusting dependence. He says, I am worthy to be trusted and to be depended upon. And you do not want to trust me and you don't want to rely on me. Our anxious seeking after all these things before God is because ultimately, I think we don't actually trust God. We don't trust him to actually be for us. We don't actually trust that he is for our good. That what he is and who he is is actually going to make our souls secure. We believe believe all this. You're all here. We believe all this up here in our heads. And we know up here in our heads that God loves us, but we don't believe that he actually is what our souls and our bodies really actually need. In fact, I think we have a suspicion deep down that we think God is actually withholding. He doesn't want to be generous with us and that we have to impress him if we're going to win his love and care and attention. In other words, we don't really believe that we are God's beloved. This morning when I came in, I'd written you know, this whole sermon out in the manuscript and I came in. That section that I just said right here, we don't, we don't, we don't. I was surprised to find that when I had written it the first time, everything was in first person singular. That I had written, I don't trust him. I don't actually think he'll make me secure. I don't believe that God thinks about me as his beloved. This is me. Is this you? 
Are you exhausted, frayed, and angry? Let me ask you this. How did you hear Jesus' words in the chapter 6 here? Were they condemning? Did they sound like this to you? Don't be anxious. Stop. Look. Look at the birds. I'm caring for the birds. Can you just, you're, can you not have your small, pathetic faith? Don't you understand I care for you? Is that what it sounded like to you? Or was it tender? Don't be anxious. I know what you need. I care for you. Look at the birds. I care about the birds. I care so much more about you. Will you rest in my love? My friends, your heavenly father longs for you to feel freedom and joy and resting in him. If you are in Jesus by faith and by baptism, you are God's beloved. The point of Jesus' words here are that you can be secure in your heavenly father. You cannot add an hour to your life by thinking about it, but God is the source of eternal life. You cannot make food appear, but God called the world into being with his own words. You don't even pay attention to the birds for the most part, but he feeds them all each by each and knows their names. He takes joy in the beauty of blue bonnets springing up for just a few weeks in the hill country in Texas for no other reason except that they are beautiful. And he revels in that. He revels in you. The cross is simply just the confirmation of that eternal reality. At the cross, the God of the universe screams to us, you are my beloved, look what I will do. Look how far I will go to make you mine, to secure you with me for eternity. Look what I am doing, because you are my beloved. Paul in Romans 8 makes this connection, one of the most comforting chapters in all the Bible. But Paul says this, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all at the cross, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then Paul lists all the potential troubles of tomorrow. That Jesus says tomorrow is going to have its own anxious troubles. And they're coming, and they're always coming. And Paul says all the potential troubles of tomorrow tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, even death, spiritual powers, political powers, things right now, things into the future. In other words, recession, depression, Ukraine, Turkey, China, the WEF, grief, depression, the death of loved ones, hardship and difficulty. And Paul says nothing, all those troubles of tomorrow, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of your heavenly father in Christ Jesus. You were made to rest secure in him. In other words, he is the only thing who is weighty enough to make your soul feel secure when the storms of life come blowing. Everything else, all the things that we are anxious on, trying to desperately hold on to, when the storms of life come, the wind will blow them away because they're not weighty enough, as Tim talked about last week. Only he is weighty enough, like a weighted blanket on our souls. So seek him first and his righteousness. Well, how do we do this? This is about building trust. Because if ultimately the issue is we don't trust God, how do we build trust with God? You know, sometimes when a marriage is skidded off the tracks and they come to the pastoral staff and say, can you help us? We're, we feel very broken. And oftentimes what happens is both spouses hear each other's words 
and they give the most uncharitable understanding to their spouse's words. And they begin to think that the things that their spouse has done and the things that they said, the spouse did just to spite them, just to make them feel bad, just to make them feel unloved. And they begin to suspect that their spouse no longer sees them as beloved. Perhaps they sinned against them and hurt them. Now, of course, that can be a reality. Marriages do fall apart and they do get insidiously broken. But often what has happened is just that trust has been broken. And when trust is broken, you're no longer able to see what is true. And trust has to be rebuilt. So how do we typically rebuild trust in marriages like that? Well, you stop doing the things that don't work and that are hurting. You start looking at the good things that your spouse is doing and the good things that you value and appreciate about your spouse. And you praise those things. And you consider the evidence of their love. And you begin to consider how what they did do was not to hurt you, but actually to love you. You just didn't receive it in love in that way. And you set time, of course, to practice seeing, considering, and applying all those things in your marriage. Well, notice here in chapter 6 of Matthew, that's exactly what Jesus says to do here, to interrupt our anxieties, to rebuild trust with God, our Heavenly Father. Stop, look, consider, apply. Build trust in God, again, as your Heavenly Father. For many of us, If we're going to trust God in this area, we're going to have to stop and look. Stop reading the news obsessively. Stop paying hyper-attention to the fluctuating market. Stop endlessly scrolling through social media to examine where our social status and standing is. Stop doing those things at the very beginning of the morning before you get out of bed on your phone, before anything else has happened that day. And we need to look at what God has already done and is doing in our lives and in the world. When our family moved from Dallas, sorry, from Kansas to Dallas in order for me to go to seminary, we went through a very difficult period of anxiety in our home. And one of the ways that we dealt with it was by taking time to list and look at all the things that God has already done in our life in which we were grateful for and to give thanks for them. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter four to do. When you begin doing that, when you look, it's like looking at the birds that Jesus talks about here in Matthew chapter six. You begin to be astounded at God's quiet, faithful, and generous provision for you and in your life and reorients your heart from feeling insecure to a sense of thankfulness, gratitude, and security. We also need to consider, Jesus says here that God clothes the heat fields with the spring lilies or the blue bonnets here in Texas. And these flowers have no purpose except to be beautiful for a moment and then are cut down and thrown into the fire and gone. But they exist because of God's own joy. You know, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. That is, joy is essential to God's very own nature. Look, in the grand scheme of time, all of us as individuals, we are like grass in a field. We are like blue bonnets. We are here And then we are gone. So consider, if God takes joy in blue bonnets and lilies who are here and then gone, how much joy he takes in you in the grand scheme of time where we are here and then gone. He delights over you. He doesn't endure you. He doesn't go, not this person again. He doesn't provide for you because he has to, but because he delights to. God finds you delightful. He sent his son to the cross so that he could have you for eternity. So one of the reasons we gather here and worship every week is to be reminded of that reality, to reconsider that truth, 
to remind ourselves that we are God's beloved. And as you look, as you consider, as you see God's grace and mercy and love, you won't need to hide the planks in your eye. You can ask God to deal with them because you trust him as a good, generous, and fair judge of your life. You know his love. And if you do that, you will, you must apply that same mercy and grace and love towards others. Of course, the speck needs to go. But let me take it to the one who is kind and gentle and generous with my planks. And then we can deal and let him deal with your speck. That is what dependence and trust in God our Heavenly Father through Jesus looks like. May we all find it. May we all know it. May we be secure in him. Father, we do ask that you would make us people of deep trust, faith, and dependence, that we would find security in you. Father, you are the one our souls long for and need. You're the only thing that will make us secure and safe. So we do pray that you would give us eyes to see and hearts to feel. In Christ's name, amen.